So when you go to therapy, you are hoping (laughs) that your therapist will use different tools or modalities to help you heal. Now, there is an assumption that every therapist is created equal, but let's look at mechanics. There's going to be some people who know how to fix a car that needs an engine overhaul, and there's going to be some that say they can fix it, but you're going back repeatedly because they don't have the training to actually be able to help you. And that's one thing that I really want to stress here is that when you go to a therapist, you need to make sure they have the correct training to actually be able to help you. Hey everyone, welcome to Roll Call Podcast, a podcast brought to you by Unified Fire Authority. Today we have a very special guest, Melanie Squire from Freedom Counseling. We're also talking with uh, UFA's very own behavioral health specialist, Captain Lane Hilton. And Hello. of course, I'm your host, Chris Middlemas. Melanie didn't say hi yet. So nice hi. to be here. Yeah, <laughs> hi, Melanie. Melanie. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Melanie. Uh, like, what's your background? And tell us about freedom counseling. Okay, so I am a trauma therapist. That's my specialty. I work a lot with police and first responders. Our company originally started working with military and combat trauma. And from there, we branched out and working with other, I keep using the word trauma, but uh, other individuals and organizations that might be more susceptible to trauma, but I know that's a trigger word. Right. (laughs) So maybe I should quit saying that. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're fine. So uh, with Freedom Counseling, we have two locations, one in Kaysville and one in Murray. Awesome. And you're the owner of Freedom Counseling, right? I am. Awesome. And what's your educational background? If you can just kind of talk to people about that a little bit. I am, what got you into this? Yeah, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And so I have a master's degree. I originally realized that I loved trauma when I was doing my education And I used to work in the OR as a surgical technician. And I thought, oh my gosh, seeing all the people that came in and their legs turned around and skin peeled off their face, I I realized I'm a bit of what you call a trauma junkie. And from there, I realized that I had the skill set to be able to help uh, people who were in really difficult situations who needed that help. Um, So I started to train in everything that comes along with trauma, which usually includes addiction. Addiction's usually married to it, whether it's substances, pornography, or sex. Uh, Sometimes there's domestic violence in there. Um, But a lot of different things you have to be versed in in order to work with trauma. Well, in our our goal uh, within the UFA is to provide as many um, resources as we can, because not one size fits all in, uh, therapy. And so we have added freedom counseling to a list of our providers to, um, be a part of our goal in creating a healthy and well department. When we first met, uh, one of the things that impressed me most about Melanie and, uh, her company as well is that they initially, as she mentioned, and feel free to jump in at any point, uh, initially she mentioned they were military only, but has since branched out into working with firefighters and and police officers and people within the first responder family in general. Um, They also specialize in uh, family and women's issues because they do recognize that uh, the trauma that we experience 
our families experience. Absolutely. And that, that makes you unique. Can you talk a little bit about that piece and what you do with families? Yeah, there's no way to treat someone efficiently and effectively. Let's say, for example, there's a firefighter named John. If I treat John and clear out his trauma and help him be able to turn off his brain so that he's not in fight or flight all the time, so that he can be home and interact with his family, unless I train the family as well or teach them and provide resources and support and help for them, then I've only conquered part of the problem because uh, it's a you're a unit mm-hmm. and you need to be able to function in your unit. And a lot of times there is uh, self-blame for the partners and the spouses and the children and don't make mom or dad mad when they come home from work. I, I, I don't want to make any issues. Is it my fault? Am I not good enough? Why won't they talk to me? And that this is why we see so many divorces uh, in this uh, responder population. So that's definitely something we address. So would you say there's an element of PTSD amongst the family in their dealing with the, the responders uh, emotional baggage, if you will? Absolutely. So uh, a lot of times I hear family members that are pretty much just walking on eggshells all the time Uh, And then there's a lot of gaslighting. Do you know what that term means? Yes, I do. Can you go ahead and explain it for people that me and my, me and my wife joke about it all the time because she's always like, "Yeah, I gaslight you all the time" because (laughs) she might have a little bit of a shopping situation. Okay, and like every time I come home from work, I'm like, "What's up? What's up with that new vase? Is that a new vase?" No, I don't know what you're talking about. It's been there forever. (laughs) That's gaslighting, right? Like making people think that things have always been this way when in fact you've changed things around, right? Yeah. So it might be, let's say, for example, um, Sarah comes, uh, is at home and John comes home from work and she says, how was your day? It's fine. And he sits down and pops open a beer and starts watching TV. She says, how come you never spend any time with me? How come you don't tell me how your day is? I just told you how my day is. What else do you want from me? This has always been the way it's been. So now Sarah's internalizing it and thinking, gosh, what's wrong with me? Why can't, why can't I seem to get along with my spouse? Right. And it makes the, the person on the receiving end feel crazy. Crazy. Yes. Like, am I out of line? Should I have asked that? Should I have not have asked that? Yeah. I'm I'm so sorry. I I won't do that again. And it's very damaging. And Within the course of that, one of the biggest questions that we get asked is, and and I know the answer is it depends, but one of the things that people want to know, particularly with family issues, is how long is this going to take? Mm. And one of the one of the things that Freedom Counseling specializes in is EMDR and treatments utilizing um, scientifically proven and empirical methods to help us get to where we need to be. And I wanted to touch on uh, this just a little bit. So uh, the IFF, um, our union organization, uh, has really, really made a push for both CBT and EMDR. Um, Do you mind if I stop and I explain what those are? Because you're yeah. using a lot of acronyms. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you go to therapy, 
you are hoping <laughs> that your therapist will use different tools or modalities to help you heal. Mm -hmm. Now, there is an assumption that every therapist is created equal, but let's look at mechanics. There's going to be some people who know how to fix a car that needs an engine overhaul, and there's going to be some that say they can fix it, but you're going back repeatedly because they don't have the training to actually be able to help you. And that's one thing that I really want to stress here is that when you go to a therapist, you need to make sure they have the correct training to actually be able to help you. I can't tell you how many times I've seen therapists say, oh yeah, we work with every type of population out there and but do they have the competency to work with police and firefighters? Many times, no. Right. They, they have no background in it. So you may come in, and, and this is a common complaint that I hear, that they you feel like you're spending half your session explaining your career. Right. And this is what I do, and this is how it works. and Or when you make uh, off-colored humor, that some might categorize it as off-colored, yeah. that they understand this is part of your, the culture uh, this is how you generally cope. Um, but along that, some of the tools that they may have are something called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, which is the acronym he just threw out there, which works with your cognitions or your thoughts and your behaviors, how your thoughts affect your behaviors, or something called EMDR. And this is a mouthful. It's eye movement desensitization reprocessing. So that means that uh, it is a tool that is specifically designed for trauma. It's been around for over 20 years. It's been heavily researched. It's used a lot by the VA. Um, but you need to be able to use the right modality or tool for the right person and what is coming up with them sitting in front of you. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So okay. in the webcast, um, for those of you that have watched the IFF webcast on this, and they put it out a while ago, uh, Dr. Gulliver, who is the spokesperson for them, just says simply, look for CBT and EMDR, and those are the only two things that work. Now, of course, that's not necessarily true, or the evidence doesn't support that at all. That being said, though, EMDR and CBT are really useful. And so the she just explained a little bit about what those uh, acronyms are, because Dr. Gulliver just uses those. But can you get a little bit more in-depth to EMDR? Because we have a lot of people just walk in and say, I want EMDR. Yes, I would love to. I actually do trainings in the fire and police departments about this because there's so much, so many misconceptions that individuals aren't seeking treatment because they don't know what is possible with their therapy. So let's say I'm going to use, do you want me to use a fire or police example? Use fire. Okay. So let's say I have a firefighter that comes in and let's say they've been in the career for 20 years and they have seen hundreds of dead bodies. They've, you know, they've, they've really seen it all in, throughout their career. So someone might say, well, I'm kind of starting to have nightmares. Generally, it takes someone a lot to, to get into our offices, which is too bad because they don't come in when the issue is minor. They usually wait till their families are falling apart. Their marriages are falling apart. They've got an addiction. They're having nightmares. They're avoiding things. They are uh, feeling like they can't relax in crowded places. So they're basically showing symptoms of PTSD and they, they don't feel like they're coping well. Uh, my, this is actually my favorite client. They come in with their hands crossed and they say, well, I need help, but I don't think you can help me. They think, sweet, here we go. 
um, because it's it's really fun to be able to watch the process and watch them change. So when I use the word trauma, I use that loosely. That can mean anything from physical, sexual, emotional, verbal abuse to uh, the things that you see on an ongoing basis. Generally speaking, in your career as a firefighter, you're going to have two or three events or calls that you went on that haunt you. And uh, I see a lot of patterns around children, around people that they couldn't save or they saved and then they got to the hospital and then the patient died. Um, Or uh, another trigger would usually be someone that, uh, an event that reminds you or triggers something that is closely related to home for you. So you might have a daughter that has the same haircut around the same age of a child that you went on the scene on and she had been ran over by a car. And now for whatever reason, that seems to be stuck and you will avoid things that remind you of it. So when that happens, this is usually when we recommend treatment and uh, making sure that your therapist has the right modalities or skills to help you. One of those is EMDR. So uh, to, to go back just a second, with different trauma treatments, they give them a grade uh, to be able to show how effective and efficient they are in treating and reducing uh, these types of symptoms. EMDR has been heavily researched and is one of the, uh, it's given an A, so to say. Um, so EMDR is used and is actually one of the most effective treatments that we use at our facility because it has a lot of benefits. Number one, I don't need to know the specifics of uh, what your trauma was. So I, I like to use a rape case. I don't need to know every single thing that happened in that rape case for me to be able to help you heal. So for example, I worked uh, with a client one time that had been gang raped when she was a little girl by three men. I still don't know the specifics of that, but the way EMDR works is that she would come in in this scenario and she, we would identify uh, kind of her history because if there are things in her past that might hold up us being able to clear uh, the actual gang rape. Once we identify the target that we're going to work on with EMDR, we rate how distressing it is to her right away on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the worst. So uh, let's say, for example, I told you right now you've lost your job. You're going to get a call in the next five minutes. You've, you've lost your job. We're in the middle of this coronavirus, and you have no way to support your family. Most of you, if you actually think about that, are going to go into fight or flight. Some of us freeze as well. Um, and that's less talked about, but that reaction that you have that fight or flight and all of those emotions that go on in your body is called a distress level. And that's what I'm having you evaluate from one to 10. How distressing is it right now when you pull up the worst part of it? Generally speaking, and I'm actually going to give you a moment to, to do this uh, oh, right now. So those of you who are listening, I want you to take just a second And I want you to think, are there any distressing events that you try to avoid thinking about that haunt you from your career? I'm going to give you just a second to think about that. Yes. (laughs) Okay. 
once you have that pulled up in your mind, I want you to pull up the worst part of it in your head. So if I were to freeze frame it on a TV, what would I see? What image would I see on that TV? And, and think about that for just a second. Imagine being there. Now, on a scale of one to 10, how distressing is that when you think about it right now? If your score is anywhere above four, that's when I tell people you need to be seen. What can happen with EMDRs when I use this tool or this model with you, I will have you pull up the event in your mind and we will start using the modality. Um, it generally, uh, research shows is it's pretty fast and it's effective. When I am done treating you, not only will your distress score be a zero, but I will have eliminated the negative core belief system that you have associated with the event. So, so can you explain that? Yes, what that piece is absolutely. So is this just are you? Is this one session of EMDR or is this multiple sessions? She's going to get to okay. that. Yeah, I'll get to that. Okay. But let's say that you come into my office mm -hmm. and you don't know how to open up or connect with someone. That's right. going to take me more time to teach you how to attach to me. Right. If you already have that, uh, then I can go a lot faster. If you have addiction associated with this, I'm going to go a little slower because I don't want your addiction to completely go out of control when I'm opening up your wound. Right. So with the EMDR, uh, I'm going to go back to the rape case. Uh, she had the core belief system that I'm not good enough. Something's wrong with me. I'm not lovable. And her distress score, when I, I think at the time I said one to 10 and she said 11. So she would go into fight or flight whenever she would think about this. In fact, her symptoms were so bad that she had dropped out of high school. Um, she, she couldn't cope. So by the time we processed EMDR, her distress score was down to a zero and that core belief system of something's wrong with me, I'm not lovable, that is gone. She no longer believed it. And that emotional fight or flight that's in your body, all those emotions, negative emotions are gone as well. What, what core beliefs do you, in those faulty core belief systems, what do you see a lot with firefighters, police officers, first responders? Do you see a lot of guilt? Do you see, what do you see there? I see a lot of, I'm not good enough, uh, that they couldn't save someone or I should have done something, which when you're talking about a homicide case of maybe some, uh, a pregnant person who killed herself, what is it you should have done? Right. But this is where with, with trauma, I, I know I shouldn't keep using that word, but we're okay with it. Okay. We're okay. This is where your brain and your heart are not connecting. Mm -hmm. You know that you just showed up on a scene and there's nothing that you could have done, but it doesn't matter because you still firmly believe it's your fault. You should have done something. Or I see a lot of, I can't control this or I have no control. Um, but mostly I see a lot of self blame and, and that shame and that blame, you carry that around with you. And, and eventually you get to the point where you're numbed out and you're at your daughter's birthday party. You're not happy. You're not sad. You're just kind of there. Yeah. And, and that's another symptom that you need to, you need to get help because that absolutely affects your personal relationships.
I mean, I, I say this, uh, I work a lot with sex addiction, so I, I know I'm going to throw out things, but I figure as firefighters, you might be desensitized. I'm winking right now, even yeah. though you can't see it. But um, it, I, I asked the firefighters, do you make love or can you only have sex? Because making love is more intimate. It, it, it makes you be able to have to be more vulnerable. And I consistently see this in firefighters as well that they worry that if they take any wall down and feel anything, whether it's good, that it's going to break the Hoover Dam and all the negatives going to come in at the same time. So they'd rather just not feel anything, which is not a way to live. Right. So going back to the, did I answer your question? Okay. Perfectly. Okay. So going back to the EMDR, not only will we get rid of that core belief and all of those negative emotions, but then we'll be able to install a positive belief. So let's say a homicide that you go, you go on where you were not able to do anything or help that person. Uh, you would be able to say, look, if, if you were originally blaming yourself and saying, I should have done something by the time we're done with treatment, you will be able to believe I, I did the best I could. It's not my fault. And, and we rate that on a scale as well. And you truly believe it. And what's so incredible about this modality is that when you watch the person change in your office and you see the burden, and I, I like to use the analogy of a rucksack, that you're carrying all this weight in your backpack, all these rocks. And when you finally see those rocks get out of their backpack or their rucksack, it's, there is a visible difference and there almost becomes a, a reverence, I think is the best word to use in the office because they feel relief for the first time. And sometimes people have been carrying this around for 30, 40 years and they almost afraid to disrupt anything, worrying that it will come back. So they talk softer and they look around the room like, is it, is it really gone? And it's uh, research, by the way, for EMDR so shows that uh, it will stay gone unless you're like on a cocktail of medication and then you get off the medication, you may see a little bit of a rise uh, in that, that stress level. And that doesn't mean we have to start all over. You can just come in and we can clear it out. Or if you have another trigger uh, that you didn't notice you had before, that still doesn't mean we're starting all over. It just means we'll process the trigger, but we will process the event and triggers and nightmares all the same way. So by the time that you are done, uh, you have all these rocks out of your rucksack. Now, some people ask the question, well, I've been in this career for 15 years and I have seen 500 disturbing things. So does that mean I'm going to have to go through every single thing? And the answer is no. Generally speaking, if I have someone that has uh, categories like uh, suicides, I would say, which one is the worst suicide that bothers you the most? And generally speaking, if I process that suicide, then it's like a domino effect and all of the other suicides don't tend to bother them. And so I, I can work on someone who's been in the field for 30 years and do a few months of work, generally speaking, and they, they feel pretty good. Yeah. Well, and this leads back to where I was going with the family asking him with Chris's question. How long is this going to take? A lot of times people go into uh, talk therapy, which um, many people have, and they, they come back and they say, it didn't really work for me. And I was in there for like 
a year. Okay, so talk therapy, by the way, is where you just go in and talk about the rape or the homicide, and you think that by talking about it, you're going to feel better. Right, right. right. And they say that doesn't work. Then they go in and we talk about, well, maybe EMDR would be a really good thing for you. And that's the number one thing that we get. How long is this going to take? How long will I be there? And it's like Chris said, is this just in one session? So can you kind of go over that piece? Well, and then also maybe, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but, you know, if someone does go in, get treatment, does that mean, you know, is another call going to be a trigger? Because a lot of times, you know, these traumatic experiences, right, are kind of a constant stress, right? It's our job. Like it's not just one event, it's a series of events. And then a lot of times we, you know, have 10 years to go in our career. So uh, is it going to come back? I know you kind of talked about that. So two big questions there. Yeah. So you'll have to remind me of the question so I can make sure I'm going to answer the second question first because it's in my my mind right at the second. So will it come back? Uh, If they're on a cocktail of medication, we might see a little bit of a rise, but for the most part, it you're we're helping to change the neural networks in your brain. So when you go to the next homicide, your thought processes are different than, than what they were before. Therefore, you're able to generally process it on the scene and not take it home with you. So that's generally what I see. So you're basically being armed with the with the coping mechanism for the future calls, right? Absolutely. There's another modality or tool that we use called Brain Burn Mind Shield, Mm -hmm. uh, which has been heavily researched for firefighters because what they're finding is that uh, those of you who work in this field are consistently in fight or flight and you are trained to work and fight, right? right? You're trained to react. But the problem becomes is you don't know how to turn that off. So you go home and you're spending three hours or four hours just trying to bring yourself back down or you're, you're numbing out with some alcohol or you're starting to take pills so you can finally make yourself go to sleep. But while you're in that space, it's very difficult to connect with people. It's difficult to want to be able to have close conversations with family members. You're more likely to be irritable. So this modality teaches you how to turn that off so that when you come home, you are in uh, the relaxed state. You're in the executive part of your brain, not the primitive part of your brain. Right. And so we teach these skills along with the MDR so that you have the tools to be able to approach and react differently to these different scenarios. And, and yeah. uh, mind shield is different than the MDR in terms of therapy, just to, just to uh, make that delineation. Um, so to the second question, how long does this take? So I'm going to throw out general uh, assumptions here. Uh, if someone has childhood abuse mm-hmm. on top of or any other type of abuse on top of their career, uh, it could take uh, at least a few months. And that's mm-hmm. assuming they don't have addiction and that they can trust me and that they know how to open up and be vulnerable. There are a lot of guys who do not have a vocabulary for their emotions. Right. And I have to train that and teach that, that, and they don't want to be vulnerable. They, they don't, they view it as weakness, uh, which on a side note, it takes incredible amount of strength to show up at my office because there are a lot of people who don't make it and, and they kill themselves. So 
that I, I think that's something that we need to start relooking and rethinking about. That being able to have emotions is is weakness because I can guarantee you the guy sitting next to you has the same emotions that you do. We're not computers. Um, but the longest cases that that I have had has been two years, mm-hmm. and that has been someone who was homeless, who had a major alcohol addiction, who had severe childhood abuse, and had combat trauma. So that took two years. Yeah. What's the fastest you've ever seen? Um, the individual that I was talking about that was gang raped, she came into my office ready to go, ready to trust me, and we cleared that out in six sessions. Cool. And, That's um, amazing. Do you have like a, a number, like what an average ballpark session length would be in terms of this many sessions and you're going to see improvement? Uh, I, I generally, I would say that within the first session, most of our clients say, oh my gosh, I have hope. And that's, that's what I hear most often is that they've lost hope. They have thought that they just have to live with this. Yeah. Uh, but if you have a singular incident event, which means just one trauma and you want us to clear that out, I, I would say that if you're ready to go, sometimes we can do it in four to eight sessions. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. We're almost out of time. So well, I got two big questions. I still got to ask. Okay. So we got to make the time. Can we make the time? Heck yeah, we can make the time. Okay. We can make the time. One of the things that, because again, this podcast is listened to by people outside of the UFA, other departments, other public safety entities. These are usually male dominated professions. Yeah. And a lot of times our, um, our female workers and our sisters in this, in this family don't have what they feel is adequate help. And this is something that you specialize in and that your company specializes in. Can you talk a little bit about um, what you have for women? Absolutely. Uh, Women in this career, like you said, it's really difficult. Uh, Not only are they in a male dominant society here, uh, but there's a lot of, where do I fit in? What is my identity? How do I fit in? How do I prove myself? How do I show that I'm strong enough? What do I do if I'm, if I'm getting people who are harassing me? What if I feel like I'm being belittled? Can I have the equal trust as another male partner, even though I may not physically be able to carry as much weight? There's, there's a lot of insecurities and concerns. Uh, we see uh, rape. We see um, discrimination. And that is added on top of everything that is already traumatic in their career and, and a lot of feeling of isolation. And can I talk to someone in this brotherhood or am I going to be ostracized? So we create that safe place for them. And that, I think that's awesome. The, the other question I had. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's giving me the eye. No, I'm not. Um, (laughs) No, I made that up. Take as much, (laughs) take as much time as you want. Harsh words from a harsh man over there. Maybe you should talk to Melanie. So anyway, one of the other things is, and we've already had a a number of people go and see you um, from the UFA and uh, everybody comes back and, you know, of course, thinks you're wonderful. There is a problem with that because then everybody says, well, I I just want to see Melanie (laughs) and you can't see the whole world. So one of the things I want to impress with our listeners in the UFA 
and everybody else is that you have an amazing staff. Oh, absolutely. I've had the opportunity to meet them, talk to them. Um, they are very qualified, but can you talk about your staff a little bit? Yeah, I would trust my staff with my own family members. And that's, it would be a conflict of interest, so I can't send my family to them. But uh, they are handpicked. It takes the right therapist, as you are probably aware, to listen to the things that we listen to every single day. Imagine having 40 clients and listening to 40 clients' worst nightmares, right? Right. So you've got to be a little bit of a trauma junkie. You've got to be able to have good self-care. And then you've got to have the psychoeducation of understanding the career. Even our front desk staff works with uh, their spouses or police and fire. So this is a love for us. This is something that we're very passionate about. Every one of our therapists is EMDR trained. Uh, and we also have the other training for Brain Burn Mind Shield to be able to work with fire. Um, but along that line, uh, it, it makes me think of something that you and I, Lane, had talked about earlier, which is what support is out there for the spouses, what is out there for, uh, for you as the firefighters. And one of the things that we're offering are spouse groups and to be able to support you so that you can support the person who is on that front line. Um, and be able to help normalize and, and help you understand patterns of behavior so that you're not internalizing that everything is your fault. We can help you with communication skills, um, but that's something that we offer. In addition to that, uh, we also are offering, right now we're in this weird corona pandemic thing. Right. And we're noticing a lot of depression mm -hmm. and anxiety, not only amongst teenagers, but also amongst uh people in the career. And so we are offering for free in the community. Uh, it's our way of giving a little, uh, a class that you can join where we will help you with grounding techniques and, uh, be able to use some of these skills. Uh, we have a Tai Chi type version that we're offering for the teenagers. And then we have more of a yoga based. It's not actual yoga, but it's, uh, using that modality and the brain burn mind shield and grounding and meditation and mindfulness and all the all the tools that we have to pull out to help adults who are stuck at home, who need help coping or feel like they're going to go crazy uh, to be able to have something that they have to look forward to every week. So in order to do that, you would just need to go uh, call the Freedom Counseling work phone number. Let us know that you're interested and you can join that group that we do weekly. Awesome. And I'll get that number from you and put it in the description awesome. on this uh, podcast episode. Um, did Go you ahead. have another question? Uh, just just uh, one more. on Because we have so many people that aren't within the UFA, because when we send people to you, we the, the department covers it through their, their contract with you. What about people that are outside? Do you take insurance? Because we run into a lot of people that say, well, I really want to go there, but they don't take insurance. Yeah, so that's a good question. There are some EAPs that we are actually set up to take. We also take almost every major insurance that's out there. And then we have individuals that really, really feel like they just need that complete confidentiality piece, which that's another thing we need to talk about because that's another barrier for people seeking treatment is confidentiality. Yeah. But uh, they'll just come in and pay cash because they don't want anything anywhere. And there's a lot of uh, fear in seeking treatment that it's going to affect your career. 
that you're going to be taken out of your job, that people aren't going to trust you. Uh, and, and so that, it, that goes into our confidentiality that if you show up and you seek treatment at our facility, nobody's going to know you're there, but us, if you tell someone, you know, that's, that's something that that's on your end, but we, we are only, uh, have to mandated reporting only occurs that if you're, uh, at suicide risk of hurting yourself or hurting somebody else, that's when we have to report. But right. other than that, the majority of the time I'll go do presentations uh, to firehouses and train them. And it'll be funny because I'll show up and people don't even know that I've treated individuals and they have no clue and they're not going to know. Right. Awesome. Before we go, can just as a, as a refresher, can we go over the signs and symptoms of PTSD or what signs and symptoms uh, you may be exhibiting that when would indicate do I need to get help? Do you need to come in? Or, or seek help. So one would be avoidance. You're starting okay. to avoid people, places, things that remind you of the event. You might have nightmares, mm-hmm. you might be hypervigilant. So do you hypervigilance means that you can't relax. You're consistently checking something. You probably have to have your back face a certain direction at a restaurant. You're scanning the exits. You're looking for danger. You sometimes might have difficulty in crowded places. Um, and you're having thought, this is the big, the big one. You're having reoccurring thoughts about this event that feel intrusive. So you right. don't want them to be there, but they're just kind of showing up when you don't want them to be there. Right. And you don't have to have all these symptoms. Okay. But generally speaking, I think, I think most of you know when you need help, but you avoid it. Or take the advice from your spouse. Even. <laughs> I'm sure you've got spouses out there saying, hey. You could use some help. I know it's always the spouse. That my spouse thinks I needs to be here, so I'm here. Right. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. And do you work with do you work with uh, physicians and nurses too? As they kind of follow. We do. This? We we see a lot of uh, some of these PTSD symptoms and EMTs and and yes, so we we work a lot with civilians members that are more susceptible to trauma. We work with child sex slavery, uh, LGBT community, lots of different groups. Okay, great. Uh, well, I would, I would like to thank you for coming in and taking the time to talk to us, Melanie. Um, I'll put uh, your information and the information for Freedom Counseling in the description of this episode. And thanks again, Captain Lane Hilton, for joining us as well. Thank you, Chris, for just being you. Thank Thank you. you. All right. (laughs) Thanks. And this was Roll Call. Thanks for listening.